Hi everyone, it's Patch with another pre-episode announcement to make. Um, I've just loaded up the raw audio now from our latest episode of the Don't Go Outside podcast, episode 32, and um, just realised that Audacity was set to record audio from my £20 webcam I bought off Amazon uh, from China. Um, and not the the blue snowball microphone that I usually use. So, if you're wondering why my audio sounds sh- shocking this episode, it's because the webcam is picking up. That was my mistake. <laughs> Sorry about that. It's still a good episode, though. There's a lot of good, 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 good stuff in there. Um... I'm just going to try and salvage what I can, and uh, yeah, apologies uh, if your ears are sensitive to poor quality audio, maybe skip this one. Okay, well, on with the show. Oh hey, you made it. We weren't sure anyone was able to get the broadcast. We found this huge vault full of cool things from before the event. Yeah, do you want to come check it out? Good morning, good evening, or possibly even good afternoon. Welcome to Don't Go Outside podcast, your podcast broadcast from the post-apocalypse. Uh, I am one of your hosts, Patch. And I'm the other one, Robin, if we're not going to count all of the colourful Wasteland characters which pop in and out of this podcast every now and then. we got a few topics to cover today. Uh, all the things that have been keeping us uh, indoors, away from the frightful fallout out there in the Wasteland. Uh, got a few exciting things to cover. Um, do you have any follow-up from our last episode uh, Robin, um, where we discussed one division. I see. Uh, I've had thoughts about one division since we watched it, but my thoughts were I agree with everything I said on the uh, <laughs> on the podcast when we <laughs> we um, put it to put it on the wire. Um, mm-hmm. When at the time that we recorded, I believe I hadn't actually seen the final episode. Um, yeah, the final episode hadn't released. Yeah, I think we'd recorded around episode 6. But um, uh, after watching the final episode, yep, I, I feel pretty much exactly the same as I felt. You know, it's it, it's good. It's a brilliant introduction to, uh, what is it, Phase 3 Marvel Universe. Um, and yeah, I do, Phase 3 or 4 or something. One of the questions you asked um, was... How do you think this is approachable to a new someone new? And and I think it really is. Uh, I think it really does well for that. Cool. That's good to know. Yeah, I mean, just without getting too much into spoiler territory and without going too in depth, because we have you know brand new things to talk about this week. Um, I thought the end was okay. It was a little bit. I don't like how it just devolved into your usual. Marvel superhero fair where it was just basically the hero fighting uh, an opposite evil version of themselves like I kind of was hoping for something a bit 
more different because the whole show was so different to anything we've seen before. And then that last episode was just, oh, it's a Marvel movie now, so just uh, welcome back. I thought it was a little disappointing. Like, I did enjoy it, but I thought maybe they could have done something a bit more dynamic considering the rest of the show was so interesting. Um, you know, it was a little bit like... Yeah, it was just too much. Uh, it was. It just felt too much like going back to their old tricks. Where I thought this might be turning a new corner in uh, in Marvel uh, cinematic universe. But hey, I mean, I'm excited to see the aftermath of the show and how it affects the rest of the films. But yeah, no, it was good. You know, I, I still think it's a good series overall. Um, and I started watching. Um, the Falcon and Winter Soldier series as well that's started oh. uh, time of recording I think we're about three episodes in mm-hmm. um, and I think I'm preferring that a lot more um, just because really? it's more my kind of show it's like spies and spying and sneaking around and you know conspiracies and secrets and you know it's, it's yeah it's more of a little spy thriller and that's kind of the th- I, I enjoy that more I think than uh, than the so then, uh, then one division, but you know, as this is still early days, it could all go to shit. So <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> um, I have to say, uh, Winter Soldier and the Falcon, um, or Falcon and Winter Soldier, I can't remember. Um, I have just no, n- no attraction to that whatsoever. Um, yeah, I mean that's uh, fair because it's not. It's not doing anything like one division. It's not. It's not doing anything super interesting like i'll go as far to say that it's not like anything incredibly different like one division was it's not like a really out there concept it's just this is a show about people being spies and spying on each other and it's but that's just the kind of thing i enjoy though but yeah so but i, I don't know if you're, if you're gonna watch it i won't go on about it too much because i don't want to spoil anything uh but uh, yeah it's a good show um I, and i like it but it's still yeah three episodes in it's difficult to tell where it's going to go at this point but i um have you been? What have you been up to since we last spoke? Have you been? Uh, have you have you seen or have you watched or played or read anything super interesting? I have. Uh, I've. I've experienced a few things. Yeah. You've experienced um, a few things. I've experienced a few things. I've got three things on on my docket specifically that I'd like to talk about. Well, three things mm-hmm. and and our topic of the topic of the episode. Sure. Um, and I'll just kick it off with, uh, you know, the the rare event and the fun event that I've been playing a game patch. Uh, You've I've been, been playing, playing a video game at I've long last. Video game. I have mentioned this to you um, off air, um, and and I believe you've been playing some too. But it's uh, the Devolver digital game Loop Hero. Is it yeah, Devolver? Loop Hero. It's it's Devolver, isn't it? It's Devolver. If yeah. it's if it's pixel art and retro and roguelike, it's it's Devolver. That's and like also, a, if it's massively critically acclaimed, and is I think if it's massively critically acclaimed and it costs under twenty pound, it's probably Devolver. That's true, actually. Yeah, they've got a few taglines. Their main one is if it's pixel art, it's Devolver. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yes, uh, I'll just I'll, I'll set up the actual the premise of the game, and then we can then we can talk about how we feel about it um, sure. so the the premise of Loop Hero is actually, it's quite unique and it combines a number of different aspects so it combines the uh, the concept of the unfolding game so that's your sort of cookie clicker 
um, the the Toads game. I can't remember the name of it, but that that kind of weird um, oh, semi um, semi autonomous. I believe I believe so. Yeah. Um, but the the kind of game where you do a sort of semi hands off gameplay and it kind of plays itself. So it has that aspect to it. It has yeah. the roguelite aspect to it. So each run is a unique run in its own right and it's semi-randomized and then it has a sort of rpg development aspect to it and this manifests itself in um into your main gameplay loop is actually a gameplay loop in itself so your titular hero is opens up onto a corridor loop which the hero will just walk around and then battle certain enemies and that battle phase actually you have very little control over you can do a number of things you can change his equipment and mm-hmm. you can choose when to use some abilities but for the most part it is actually quite hands off you're just doing a sort of equipment management yeah. and then at the end of each loop you're sent back to what's effectively your home base and you have to do a bit of bit of development and it's kind of got a bit of a stardew valley kind of feeling to it um but yeah it's a bit of base building and those improve your stats so that when you go back into your subsequent loops you're more powerful you can beat more bosses and that continues until the end of the game more or less mm. uh yeah no that's that's pretty much the game in a nutshell um yeah i really enjoyed it it's not really i was feeling pretty it was going to be our topic of the week and i guess in a way it still is one of them because we both played it you know we both we both had a good go at it um i was pretty skeptical about it at first and i was quite excited to talk about a game which i maybe hadn't enjoyed quite so much because i feel those not to just be not to just kind of come on here and just shit on it needlessly but, you know, I, like to, I like to have a game where i kind of didn't enjoy it so much and it's not it's, it's good to kind of think more critically about a game than to be like oh it's just brilliant i loved it so much but um, it's brilliant, and I love it so much. It's a, it's a very good <laughs> little game. Um, I've not played it for a little while, but I did play it pretty solidly for a couple of days there. Just uh, kind of like it's a sort of like you said, a sort of idle, an idle cookie clicker style. Sort of you just sit and sit back and watch the game go, and you can affect the the world that the hero interacts with. So at the start of the loop, you just place all your little environment tiles that are going to affect the run uh and you just sit back and watch watch the show you know it's just really interesting and I, I love the presentation of it like the graphics and the music are both fantastic uh the kind of story the plot is quite intriguing i've not completed it yet um but like you know I've, i just haven't i haven't gone back to it because uh, i've been playing another game which i'll talk about in a moment um but yeah, no, I really like it. I think it was a good shout from you. Like, just something I probably wouldn't have picked up before. I had, like, zero interest in because, you know, I saw that it was a pixel art roguelike. And I was like, oh, this is just another... Just add it to the pile. <laughs> add it to the <laughs> pile of pixel art roguelikes. But, you know, every now and again, there's a diamond in the rough. And it's uh, this is a very shiny little diamond um, in a big old pile of rough. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's Loop Hero. Uh, yeah, a, ga- a game that I'm happy you'd recommended to me because I-, I wouldn't have played it otherwise. 
Yeah, and I, I think I'm glad you did. I'm glad you did enjoy it, and I mean I enjoyed it because it's you know it's low time investment and it's mm. something I can just get get some you know get that experience, get that squeeze that dopamine out. Uh-huh. Um, but uh, I think I'm glad you mentioned the music because I, I I thought the music it was quite interesting in the sense that it wasn't like a true rendition of retro game music. But it was like a modern rendition of retro game music that made you think that it was retro game music. Like it was quite clever. Yeah. Um, Aye, it's that uh, same kind of style of music as um, that Katana Zero had as well, and it yeah. made me think. I don't know if it's the same composer or whatever. I don't know if it is actually. Um, but yeah, it's that. I think I'm. I will get drawn into a game a lot better if the music is good. I, f- I feel like game soundtracks have a massive impact on how I feel about a game overall. Um, mm-hmm. Which, kind of more than graphics or anything, I think if, a music, if the music, if the soundtrack of the game sets the tone successfully, then I'm more likely to be locked in for the long haul, you know? Mm-hmm. No, I think that's common for a lot of people, although I would imagine a lot of people can't articulate it that well. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, a massive thing, I can't remember, I I think it was, uh, I think it was probably uh, a Game Maker's Toolkit, or one one of these sort of video essay about game design videos on YouTube, Mm -hmm. but it spoke about the importance of just sound design in general. And how yeah. much it can completely impact how people feel about the game. And I think the example it gave was they when they playtested a, a, a shooter, an FPS, um, they, all they did, people, people um, complained that the guns didn't feel good enough, they didn't feel responsive and chunky enough, and they literally changed nothing else, they just changed the sound design, and then all of those complaints evaporated. Yeah. So people can't really articulate it but it makes a huge impact to the gameplay experience ah, absolutely yeah it really does um, yeah uh, yeah it's good no it's, it's good it's, it's, it's got a good it's got a good sound uh, design element I think that's all loop hero it's really good um, visually really nice as well um, it's kind of it's got a very darker style it's like very dark medieval dark fantasy style which i quite like um but yeah no like, i mean there's not much more to say about it really it's just a simple kind of idle game you just you just set your tiles and watch the game go by and yeah i mean yeah. it's a good game low time investment and it's cheap just you know just go 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 do check it, it out check it out guys yeah um speaking of checking things out oh um, what have you checked out <laughs> i've been checking out uh this is our new segment. What have you been checking out this week? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, that's that's just our entire show, really. It just is a, a different way. Um, checking it out with Patch and Rob. <laughs> <laughs> that's if we were in the 90s. <laughs> ah, yeah, exactly. Uh, welcome to Checking It Out with Patch and Rob. Um, <coughs> hurt my throat a wee bit. I think I've been doing too much. Um been smoking too many plastic cigarettes um ah, that, plast- i can't believe you're not off them yet plasticigs um yeah doing too much of the uh fanny beast voice as well it's just been making me all <laughs> gruff um yeah so no i've been i checked out um the i checked out a game called evil genius 2 
mm-hmm. which is a sequel to an old Dungeon Keeper style game called Evil Genius. Um, and uh, yeah, it's a game I've been looking forward to for a little while because I remember playing the original Evil Genius um, back in the day. I think it was like the early 2000s or something. And um, yeah, it's, it's like I said, it's a Dungeon Keeper style game where you play as a, as a sort of Bond villain style character. Uh, and your goal is to basically take over the criminal underworld from your little island hideout. Uh-huh. Um, and it's, it's, it's a really cool concept. It's just sort of like, you know, you're, you're undertaking evil schemes, sending minions out on heists, whilst at the same time hollowing out this big mountain in the middle of the ocean to, to put your base together. Um, it's a really fun concept, but just quite lazily executed. I hate to say lazy when it comes to game design because I know how long it takes. <laughs> I know what how much work goes into making video games and how awful, you know, there's an awful culture of crunch in video game development. So whenever I describe something as lazy, I feel quite bad for doing it. So I don't use the term lightly when I say it just feels like a bit slapped together. It feels a bit like it was going to be a mobile game, but then somehow oh, right. during okay. the development they were like, no, let's just make this a PC game because people will lose their shit if we make it a mobile game. Because it's that... Like, if you think back to when the Dungeon Keeper mobile game came out and it was it just looked like Dungeon Keeper but with a Clash of Clans style visual and it was very much pay money to make the base build faster mm-hmm. you can almost see that that was on the horizon of what this game was going to be because right. it takes a long time to develop your base and unlock certain skills in order to progress the game further at the same time you know a lot of uh, you know you're, you're coming up on you're coming up against a lot of adversity which you feel could should be coming later in the game it almost feels like you know there's basically one of the mechanics is um different secret services will send agents to your island to investigate uh, every like 10 or so minutes and you need to send your minions out to kind of distract or imprison them or kill them uh depending on how you want to play the game and it feels like there should be more in place at the early game to stop that a lot quicker, mm-hmm. where there seems like there was maybe the almost the vestigial mechanic of you know you can pay five pounds and stop the investigators coming for ten minutes that kind of right. thing you know okay so it's a little bit disappointing but you know when it comes to when it comes to management sims like those that's one of my favorite genres of video game and I will put up with a lot of bullshit just to get a good time out of it and I feel like I'm, I'm maybe being more forgiving than I should be like it's a good enough game and it's I've been I've played a lot of it in the past couple of days um and I I enjoy it but I just feel in terms of management games it could have been in, ter- in terms of the style of game that it is it could have been a lot better there could have been more to it um you, there's four different villains to pick from and each one has pretty much exactly the same storyline. I don't know why they couldn't have gone with four different campaigns depending on your villain type because one is just a general like Doctor Evil style villain. There's like one that's based on M. Bison from like Street Fighter. He's like a sort of 
Soviet general uh, who's more into combat. And then you have like a scientist character uh, who, you know, gives all your minions scientific buffs. And then there's the spy master who's kind of more into intrigue. And I feel like each one of them could have had a more tailored storyline. But they all have pretty much the same one. Just the buffs are different depending on who you pick. And it just feels like you missed a trick there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that's what makes me f- feel like it's just a bit of a shoddily, quite lazily put together game. It's just they, they slapped it together and put the evil genius tab in it because it's a well, it's a fondly remembered IP from back in the day. And, um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, it's good enough, but I don't think I'm going to once I've completed it with the character I'm playing with, I'm not going to go back and see what the other ones are like because it's all pretty much the same from what I've gathered. Um, so it's a bit of a shame. Just a sore one, isn't it? It's uh, yeah. just when because I've seen stuff like this before. You know what's actually coming to mind? Was it Kingdom of Amalur? Amalur? Kingdom I can't of even. Amalur? Re- was it that? Um, I don't know. I, I can't. I, it was such a beige game that I can't really remember. But it had mm. all of this weird, all of these weird vestigial me- mechanics that it was like it was a failed MMO. So yeah. I think the games sometimes this happens, and then through whatever reason, through lack of budget, lack of effort, um, people have just given up because they've lost the heart in it. These vestigial mechanics just stay in it rather than taking the N- Nintendo approach of fuck it, put it all in the bin, we're going again from zero. I just, I, I think that that's a really disappointing thing, and especially when it's the games in that kind of management sim, that that Dungeon Keeper, Theme Hospital, theme hospital kind of zone, because, God, I love those games, man. Yeah, they're God, really, it's, God it's a really simple Boomfrog. idea, and you can, you can execute them so well, but it just, it's a really, that theme of game is so easy to make half-baked, you know? Um, I think you're right. Yeah, like I was talking about, I think a couple of episodes ago, I was talking about uh, the Jurassic Park Evolution kind yeah, of park yeah. building game that came out uh, a couple of years ago. I was I played that for ages, and that that was made by the people who made um, Planet Coaster, which is an absolute favorite of mine. Like that with Planet Coaster, you know, you have so much. Uh, so much scope for customizing your theme parks, like you building. Part, building buildings from scratch, building roller coasters from scratch, you know, everything. You have so much freedom in what you can make and what you can put together. And then coming out with the Jurassic Park game by the same people, like I was so excited thinking you could, it would be these exact same mechanics, but in a dinosaur park. But all the assets are pre built. It's like you only have like one type of store that's pre built, and everything is just kind of, you know, it was a cash in for the Jurassic World you know, the new run of movies, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with a cash-in so long as it works well. And it does work well for what it is, but it could have just been so much more in-depth, you know? Like, you know, building your own Jurassic Park buildings from scratch and, and uh, you know, customizing your little buildings and how, how your T-shirts look and stuff, building your own signs and whatnot. I mean, it could have been so much better than it is, and it's just a, it's just a bit of a shame. But... Yeah, that kind of management sims are so easy to to do wrong. I think it's rare when a good one comes along. Yeah, I think you're I think you're totally right, and it's just 
God, it's a crying shame because I would pay a lot of money for an actual true Dungeon Keeper um, sequel. Uh, uh, not sequel. You know what I mean. Ne- another one in the series. Yeah. Um, no, me too. Like I think a lot of people would, and I think that's why so many people were were you know up in arms when the the mobile game came out, and it was just such a shoddy mess, uh, monetized up to the was, eyeballs. You know. God, it was bad, wasn't it? Yeah, it was pretty awful. That was that was years ago. Now thinking about it, that's that's crazy. That kind of it's 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 how lo- how long ago it was, and how well remembered that scenario is is crazy. You know. <sighs> Alright, it's me, Fanny Beast's Wasteland Dinner Lady, with my new wonder product, Fanny Beast's Gutter Oil. One day when I was working in my kitchen, I thought, why should I throw oil away after its fifth, sixth, or even seventh use, when I could be making a little bit of cash on the side? So I decided to release this product for use in your kitchen, in your shelter, or your camp. You can use it for such things as rat sausage, cat sausage, wasteland chicken burgers. No, please, I bought a chicken, I beg you, no, please, please. It's also great as a base for a broth. From the floor of my kitchen, to the top of your shopping list. Ask your local wasteland trader to start stocking Fanny Beast Gutter Oil today! And that's again thanks to our sponsor Fanny Beasts and her promotion of Gutter Oil. That is Fanny Beasts Gutter Oil, available from any wasteland trading post near you. And do remember to use the offer code DGOBESITY for a 20% reduction in any cost at your local trading post. That's DGOBC, which you can use anytime between now and the subsequent and next apocalypse, which may or may not be in the next 24 hours or 24 months. Who knows? Love you. No. I've watched a couple of very interesting films um, which have pretty right actually you know what I'll just give you one then I'll give you the other one I think that's because they're very different Um, so I watched Okja um, which is I think it's a Netflix original or I don't think they bought it from another company I think it actually is funded by Netflix but I I might be wrong on that one Um, so Okja um is a wonderful film. I'll just leave that as an outset. It's a wonderful film, and it's hard hitting, and it's it, it, it's just really good. So, mm-hmm. to give a brief synopsis um, of Okja, because I actually think when they open it, they don't pull any punches. There's no spoilers. It's like bang. This is the experience you're gonna have. We're just gonna fucking deliver it. Um, yeah. Which I actually think um, feeds into the the plot of the film. So Okja is about. Um, a Korean farmer's daughter who, well, she lives with her grandfather, but a Korean um, farmer child who lives in the mountains with her grandfather and they raise a massive genetically modified pig type thing. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And this, the reason for this is that a huge uh, agribusiness um, conglomerate uh, corporation, rather, um, has f- made these pigs. the the press The press precedent was that they didn't make them; they found them and then bred them, which is very quickly revealed as nonsense. Okay. Uh, these these pigs were sent all over the world to different farms and in a competition to see who could raise the best pig. Now, our um, the the girl, the little girl who is the protagonist, isn't actually aware that this is a pig for eating. So she grows up with it; it becomes her friend. And then, when the time comes for the corporation to take the pig back, all sorts of uh, horrendous japes ensue um, on her mission back to come and save the pig. And she right. ends up meet, meeting up, go, going through the gunnels of uh, the corporate structure and meeting up with animal rights activists and just seeing the real coalface of, um, of uh, capitalism's treatment of animals. Now, I, um, I think that this, this uh, is it, an incredible film because it uses the lens of basically a CGI pig to be mm-hmm. able to display in the most graphic way what actually goes on with industrial farming yeah because you know unless unless you you've been you've seen seen it or or seen videos of it um or you actually actively seek out what industrial farming looks like you very rarely see it because it's it's very nsfw um but this because it's cgi it can it can make it a lot more graphic and a lot more real in a way um, and also there's the fact that when you have a massive CGI pig with sort of semi-human eyes, suddenly human beings are like, oh my god, I'm going to start worrying about industrial farming. Yeah. Um, so uh, this is just, and it's really, it's really hard-hitting and it displays it really well. And there's a number of points that I thought were just really accurate, when, uh, frighteningly accurate for it, it's... It, it, the way it represents the industrial uh, meat model and the way it just doesn't pull any punches. So mm-hmm. you're basically following this film and then from the start to the second act to the, the final, you know, the progression is things are getting worse and worse and worse and you're seeing more and more and more. And then it comes to the point where you're actually seeing what happens in the shop floor, like the 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 slaughter room floor, the um, the kill rooms, the wow. uh, you know the um, oh, I can't I can't remember the name. Uh, basically, when you impregnate animals, um, that that room, uh, and you actually see it. And I, I think they have kind of deliberately tweaked it so it looks proper, like horror haunted house style. But the reality yeah. of it is is v- structurally very similar. Um, uh, and it's it, it's brutal, man. It's really, really brutal. But then at the end, yeah. um, our, our protagonist and her pig, Okja, they make it back to the Korean mountains and it's sort of a, a happy ending. Um, so it, it's it, in some ways, it's, uh, it's like a nice little adventure film that, that follows the beats, basically, of a, of a standard adventure film. Um, but oh my god the the sort of it just really um, it really shoves a lot of the horrors of the meat industry into your face and in such a way that you can't unsee it you know yeah Um, Yeah, and I I I think it sounds like an interesting way to present that as like you know like you say it sounds like a like a 
it sounds on the surface like a fun kind of ch- childhood adventure a la the Goonies or Indiana Jones or something but yeah. but like the actual backdrop is like an abattoir slaughterhouse I think that's quite an interesting way of presenting that subject matter I think it's quite a neat twist and you know you say it kind of it amps up the horror of this environment for dramatic effect but yeah it's not like they're saying anything untrue I guess no uh, and the thing is it's like when I say the amp up, it's sort of like um, in some of the rooms, it just looks a bit dirtier than it would actually be in real life. Right. Um, yeah. But they they do stuff like they've made a CGI um, prop of. Um, okay, so when uh, a cow or quite a lot of livestock in 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 commercial commercial uh, uh, commercial farms. Uh, they they come in and their their head sort of lands in this space. It's like a big tubular. God, this is God, this is well. <laughs> listen at your own your own uh, discretion. Um, it's basically like a big sort of um, s- cylinder with the top open, and the cow the cow or whatever is pushed into the cylinder. Then it's basically bolted in the head. It dies. Then the cylinder moves over to drop the animal into like what is essentially a mine cart that then moves it round. Um, and then this is just repeated, repeated, like, you know, one animal every 30 seconds. Um, sure. But they had basically propped out one that fit the the pig perfectly. So it actually was, it was quite accurate, its display of that. So when I say well, it kind of made it a bit more, a bit more, they just kind of made it a bit more grimy than it actually looked. But, um, but all the sort of equipment, how things were done, it's pretty accurate. Yeah. No, I remember seeing Ultja advertised pretty heavily because I think it came to the Edinburgh Film Festival uh, ah. back when we had those kind of things. Um, and yeah, I think that was one of... It was kind of when Netflix started making their own films, I think. I seem to remember that was one of the first high-profile ones hmm. with Ultja because like it came to the film festival, Tilda Swinton was in it, and uh, yeah, I think there was a lot of buzz around it at the time, but I've completely forgotten it exists. Um, but yeah, I've been meaning to check it out because it seems like an interesting film. I've heard a lot of good things about it. It's because um, I'd always just known because it has been on my radar for a while, but um, effectively it was just all I knew was film about animal quite sad. Um, yeah, I didn't know it was as good as it was um but i'm I'm pretty pleased about it well (laughs) no you know it it uncovers a deep dark secret about the human food chain but uh you know uh, (laughs) it's executed very well is it like i don't want to sound like a i don't want to sound like a contrarian here but is, is it overly preachy in its message of kind of is it is it basically like saying like we want you all to be vegetarians, or is it just using the is it using the the, the premise as just a backdrop for the adventure, or is the moral um, of the story just like don't eat animals, you 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 fools, don't eat them? Um, <laughs> I wouldn't actually say it's overly moralistic. It, it, uh-huh. No, you know there is some characters within it, the ones that are um, the ones that are part of the I think they're called the Animal Defense League or something. Uh-huh. Um, but they are kind of made out to be the good guys and the people who work mm. for the massive corporation are the bad guys. Um, mm. But to be honest, 
I, I can't think you can... Th- it, uh, I'd find it hard to find any film where the people who are at the head of the mega corporation are the good guys. Don't well, think yeah, that no, really I mean, happens. I wasn't, like, yeah, I mean, I, was, like, I wasn't getting at that because, yeah, that's, that's, just a, that's just a good classic bad guy trope, as we'll discuss later on in the mm. episode, is this uh, head of a megacorp uh, trying to run the world for his own yeah. his own nefarious schemes. Um, you know, but that's, that's that's a throw forward to our end of end of the exactly uh, end of the episode. Topic. As I said, we'll get more into that. But yeah, no, I'll just say it's good, man. Yeah, I've, I've, it's been um, on, it's been off of my radar for a bit because it came out a wee while ago. But it's uh, yeah. It would actually, you, you know what, it would be interesting if you could watch this and do some follow-up, because I feel that it wasn't it wasn't overly moralistic and preachy. However, that might be because I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a pescatarian, and I very rarely eat fish or shellfish at this point. you're up on all this stuff anyway, Yeah, so right? I might be quite blinded to it, mm-hmm. so I might not see it as moralistic, even though it actually it might be. Um, I've got to think of my own context in that position, so yeah. it would be interesting for you to watch it and see what what you thought of it in that in that vein. Yeah, no, I'll do that. I'm happy to do a bit of homework in, uh, in that in that context. You know, mm. sit down with a with a big with a big beef burger <laughs> with some uh, with some of that plastic American cheese on it. Oh uh, no! Have a have a have a mega sized Coca Cola and just sit down oh. and watch Okja. Uh, Why don't you just have a feel. fucking bovril with it, you animal? <laughs> a bovril, yeah, just pour some <laughs> gravy on it. You know, <laughs> uh, yeah, okay. No, I'll, 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 do, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll add that to my. I'll put a pin in that, as we, as we like to say, uh, here on the podcast. We'll come back to it next week. Next week, next episode. Next episode. <laughs> I always well, it might be next, next week. Always, Who knows? It could be. I always refer to episodes as this week, last week, next week, just because it feels more natural, knowing full well that we are on a month-by-month release schedule, which well, works actually, for both of the, us. The but. whole thing is, what what we've found out about living in the wasteland for as long as we have, the time doesn't really work the same way. Um, you know, yeah, so we can say true. week to week, but weeks are, uh, you know, some weeks last a year, some weeks last five minutes. You know, it's it's a very odd place to live, and it makes... Paying it's rent, very arbitrary. Yeah, because it's because like the the sun is in the sky almost twenty four hours a day, <laughs> um, just that just you know just burning, burning away the the atmosphere and the and and the and the terrain. So yeah, and also there's it's like we're all kind of stuck in a time rift as well. There was like there was a massive, visible tear in the time space continuum. So it's very difficult to tell how much time is passing. Yeah, and it's going to get even weirder when bloody Doctor Strange gets back on. That's going to do some very strange stuff oh, to our reality. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds very strange stuff. I see what you did there. Nice. Um, yes. So, what else? What else do you have before we? Before we? Well, I mean, you brought continue. up Doctor Strange there, uh, which leads me very neatly into something else I wanted to talk about. Um, being, uh, I read. A new there's a new Doctor Doom series that's actually finished now. It was like a little short run, uh, by Marvel. Uh, Doctor Doom Pottersville and its follow up Bedford Falls. Uh, it's a Doctor Doom series written by Christopher Cantwell, uh, with art by Salvador La Roca. 
Um, mm. And I was just kind of jonesing for a good Doctor Doom story. And it just so happened that there was one just wrapping up, you know? Because <laughs> uh, I think we, we touched on Doctor Doom a little bit last week when we were speculating wildly about the future of the MCU. Um, and yeah, this is a kind of a, a new, as I say, a new story about Doctor Doom. Uh, he's the main character. Um, kind of focused around the construction of a like a black hole generator on the moon that uh, the Fantastic Four and other kind of super geniuses from the Marvel Universe have built as a source of kind of constant energy uh, for for planet Earth. And mm-hmm. the activation of this black hole generator causes Doom to see all these like a continuous vision of an alternate reality where he is a benevolent a benevolent a ben- a, benel- a benevolent is that right benevolent <laughs> there we go a ben elephant <laughs> ben elephant <laughs> ben elephant <laughs> he, he's a benel- benevolent dictator not even a dictator he's been elected ruler of the earth and has ushered in a new era of peace and prosperity to the world he's not got a mask on he's just a man in a suit he's got a wife and kids he's very happy with where he is and Doctor Doom as we know him um, is confused by these visions he doesn't sure where they're coming from and he's comes in, he's very conflicted with the way he is perceived in our own reality which is like he is an evil dictator of the king of the kingdom of Latveria uh, he's a war criminal uh, you know, he keeps several political prisoners and executes them just, you know, just for speaking out against him. Uh, he's a horrible, awful man, Robin, is old Doctor Doom. Um, and, you know, at the same time, you know, there's, there's a series of events which leads to this black hole generator on the moon being attacked by people claiming to be Doctor Doom's army. Uh, at which point Doctor Doom gets arrested and taken to the UN to be put on trial. Uh, Latveria is invaded while he's away. Um, and it's just really interesting tale of Doctor Doom questioning his own his own morals and his, the way he does things. And it's just it's just a really cool character study on one of Marvel's most powerful supervillains. And I really just really think it's worth checking out, you know? Um yeah, so that's Doctor Doom Pottersville, I think, is the first volume, and the follow-up, um, and the follow-up Bedford Falls. Uh, yeah, just a really good, concise Doctor Doom story, where he's kind of contending with his own ego and all this, all these ideals that have been baked into him from a very early phase in his career, shall we say. Um, his career, I love that. You know, his career <laughs> as a supervillain, where every all every all his morals and beliefs and everything he stands for is kind of pulled into question, as he needs as he's basically a fugitive on the run. Uh, his kingdom is taken away from him. Everyone thinks he's destroying. He he wants to destroy the world, where really he's like, no, I just want my kingdom back. I need to figure out what these visions are I'm seeing. Um, and it's great. It's just really really interesting, and the end of it is just. I'm not, I won't spoil the ending, but it has a very good ending um, where you kind of see what really matters to Doctor Doom at the end of the day. Um, it's just it's fantastic. I think I, I have recommended it to you off off air as a potential topic of the week, but I'm not sure if you've read it. 
Uh, no, no, I have not. Well, I recommend it, man. It's good if you can get your get a hold of it somehow. It's it's a it's a fantastic wee read. Uh, just a good, you know, every now and then I like to dip back into the world of comics because it's, uh, you know, it's it's, it's uh, I don't get to talk about it often on the podcast, so it's nice to have something exciting and new and fresh that I can talk about, you know? Actually, is it short enough to be considered a one-shot? Um, no, because it... Is it a one-shot, it, actually, or is it is it, can, is it canon? Well, it's... I wouldn't say it's canon. It's almost like a, like a what-if story. It's not a one-shot because it was like you know, the two volumes put together like six or twelve about maybe six to twelve issues of a book, so it's not like a I suppose a one shot in a way but it's like, you know, this story is just sort of like, you know what if Doctor Doom questioned everything he stands for and you know, the world ends and he has to he has to end up being the one that saved the world at the end of the day, you know but it's, uh, yeah Okay, no, I, I, I'm, I'm into that and it sounds the main thing I, I don't like when I'm reading comics is, oh god, this is gonna bleed into so much other stuff that I need to know about. Um, oh no, there's yeah, it's nothing like that. It is there's there's a few characters who I didn't recognize, but it doesn't really matter because they're just they're there to serve a purpose for the story. It's not like you have to go back to like issue issue 107 of Fantastic Four from 1968 or something like that. It's just yeah, you know, this character is here to serve a purpose. Um, and yeah, it's it's more of a character study, I, I think, of Doctor Doom, and kind of really just a, a cool twist on kind of uh, a cool twist on what you you might expect from from Doctor Doom. You know, he's not the villain; he's like the, he's the protagonist of the story, um, and it's told from his perspective. So basically, everyone else is an antagonist. You know, uh, he, his paranoia mm. is such that everyone is out to get him. But uh, yeah, no, it's great, uh, Doctor Doom. Uh, is what what a guy, what a character, one of my favorites. You do you love some you love yourself some doom. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, no one could disagree with that. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> right. Uh, Patch so, loves yeah. himself some doom. Um, the, the, the rapper and the and the supervillain. Yeah, man, um, both. Yeah. Well, I, I I have one more thing. To, to chat about before we move on to move on to the thing. main topic um, so Us by Jordan Peele oh um, okay Jordan so, Peele's follow up to Get Out uh, it's not really a follow up it's just kind of a second film is a follow up just not the same as a second film like that's kind of what, what I meant it's just sort of like his mm-hmm. thing he done after that's how I understood it to me I would always say sort of follow up as in yeah yeah, actually no you're totally right it's, this is my I, I'm misinterpreting the, the term follow up um, <laughs> sorry I did, not to get into semantics but I was like wait is that not the same thing I don't know if it's the same thing um, that's what I genuinely ask him I think you're no I think you're right there um, but uh, yes uh, Jordan Peele of, of Get Out fame um, and lots of other fame a very successful man so I watched Us expecting the same sort of level as Get Out, and I have to say I didn't. I didn't get. I didn't get that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll just give a brief synopsis of the film. Robin then proceeds to spoil the entire film. This film has one of these problems that I'm actually going to bring up in our our main topic, but 
One of the things I think is just an absolute sin is you, you know how the the old say the old adage is show don't tell, uh-huh. which it is I totally get um, in in most film production. Although I do think you can breach it on occasion, but the absolute sin is just exposition dumps. I hate it. I hate it so much. Right. Uh, and this film is just rife with them, rife with them to the point that not only does it make the film less impactful and it ruins the 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 main tension and sort of the the main horror um, premise into it it also kind of just creates plot holes that didn't need to be there mm. um there's like a full five minute segment in the <laughs> film where the just says right okay i hope you're sitting down and taking notes here's exactly what happened there is a series of uh american government got about them and left these test rabbits as well god there's a little twist at the end that's about that um it's it's one of these things that just the exposition that's been offered causes problems and debases the the horror from mystery and Mm -hmm. i think that it really suffers from that and i think that if you just cut out a lot of that exposition dump it would be a far stronger film yeah, I mean, yeah, I think you're right in terms of, like, leaving some stuff to the imagination really adds to horror. When you over-explain stuff, then it becomes absolutely less scary. I think the master of telling over showing, um, it would be Hideo Kojima. Like, all of his games are just, like, <laughs> oh my two God. hours of exposition. And, like, he's really good at it like his games are the kind of his stories are the kind of stories where you do need something someone to sit down and be like over 2,000 years ago there was these series of tunnels under the ocean and uh, blah 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 where <coughs> just got all gruff again oh. <coughs> um, but yeah I think I think in terms of storytelling leaving things to the imagination is definitely the way to go with horror um, yeah, kind of a shame when they're just like, you know, this is scary because of this conspiracy from 50 years ago. It's like, that's not scary. That's just ridiculous and stupid, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, on the to- total opposite end of the spectrum, you've got, you know, our good friend, Mr. Lovecraft, who just says, who the whole idea of his horror is that, well, I don't know what it looked like. It was just so, imagine the most scary thing you can think of. That's what it looked like. Ooh, and it's like, oh, good one, <laughs> Mr. Lovecraft. Now I'm scared. <laughs> scared um, of my own imagination. It's, it is, like, you've got to tread that that middle ground, but it just, yeah. it does, it, it is totally one of those things. It does feel like it just, it almost feels like he's taken, he's taken a lot of criticism for get out for it being too cerebral and then him right. just being like okay here's some horror sit down lads i'm gonna explain why this is scary and it's like oh, come on come on man <laughs> i feel like there is a good film that was just it's like someone started carving out the fucking statue of david then just like got some kind of form that looked vaguely like mr blobby and just went all right that's great ship it down tools wow. um it's maybe a little harsh, but you know what I, I mean. So. Yeah, I know what you mean. I mean, that's kind of how I would describe Evil Genius too. to be honest. Mm. Uh, that's kind of... Oh, just having a big old stretch. Sorry, it was a bad time to stretch in the middle of my, <laughs> of my Jesus rebuttal. Jesus Christ. 
Um, yeah. No, I saw it describe Evil Genius 2's execution as well. It's like they had something really good and then they just made it good enough. You know? It's just, yeah, disappointing to hear, man. Yeah. Well, it's not like... It's not like he... It was just made good enough. It was that it could have been really great. They had every all of the stuff there, but they added more stuff that made it worse. Yeah. Um, anyway, yes. So that was that was a bit of a longer rant than I expected. Con that got peel <laughs> on blast. Sorry. Uh, well, who have I put on blast at this point? Put Condo uh, on blast. Condor, peel Peele went on blast. On blast. Um, There's a couple of others. Else. Yeah, we'll need to we'll need to do a hit list of of your of your enemies. <laughs> uh, the guy who made uh, Doctor Sleep, I think you're not a fan of either. Oh yeah, put him on blast. Yeah. Um, fucking Mike Flanagan. That's his um, Mikey, Mikey, Fla- Mikey fucking Flanagan. Mikey fucking Flanagan. Although, if I get tricked into watching one of his films ever again, I'm going on a killing spree. Okay, well, um, well, I'll stay well out of the way for that. <laughs> <laughs> it was, uh, it was, uh, the haunting of Hill House. That was the real horror. That was the horror as in why has anyone made this heap of shit? I um, see. Anyway. This is this is just we're just reminiscing of uh, Robin's blast list. Um, <laughs> Robin's hit list. Let's When I when I hear uh, Robin's blast list in my head, it's got like Handel's Saraband or some other like really intense classical music. <laughs> Robin's um, blast list. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I'm I'm I'm. I'm, I'm new wasteland dating surface called uh, waster <laughs> uh, you just there's no phone signal so you just kind of have to draw a picture of yourself and the dirt in the back of all the abandoned vans and hope that someone uh, likes it <laughs> uh, d- d- I mean We've been needing that in the wasteland for a long time. I feel it's a lonely place. A little bit, a little bit of companionship, a little bit of companionship, and a little bit of love in the wasteland. Waster, bringing people together forever. <laughs> um, yeah. So if you see any, because there's a, been a lot of dust storms and a lot of abandoned cars and houses, just if you're feeling a little lonely, just. Go and scroll uh, in the back of a van. Say, find me at these coordinates, and draw your best, your best portrait of yourself you can. Me personally, I like to press my face into the dirt. Oh yeah. And leave an imprint, and have a little hashtag. My nose is not usually this squashed. Um, call me for for love and affection, and. Uh, Waster. <laughs> the dating app for wastelanders. I've been I, I've been uh, doing some interesting stuff in the uh, in the, the hentai cage. Uh, I just dove right in there, swarmed around. No, yeah. So this is a problem because it was the anime cave, yeah. and in the two years we were gone, the anime kind of got out of control, yeah. and uh, just like any. Whenever you leave anime unattended for too long, it does tend to turn into the seediest, most disgusting 
filth. Well, here's here's what I'm saying. One, I, I think that moral judgment is, you know, don't stink my kink. Um, <laughs> well, <laughs> there's a difference between stinking kinks and that kink stinking out my vomit. <laughs> Look, I think I think this is what's happened. Now we all know about the Eldritch Portal that we're just not addressing. It's at the bottom of the vault. You just addressed it. Well, you know, sometimes... You're going to have to make another blood sacrifice. I now. think... Oh, God. I think what happened was some eldritch energy seeped into the anime cave. Oh, the tentacles. And then okay. that's, you know, got a bit funky. But here's what I'm saying, man. I, I took a dive right in there to get over Scarlet. And you know what, man? Some of those tentacle monsters... Oh, nice guys. No, I guess you. The thing is, like, all you see in hentai is like you see all that dirty stuff. You don't see afterwards. There's a lot of tentacle hugs going on. Someone makes a sandwich. It's a nice time. It's all very respectful. Nah, I, 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 I'll just take your word for it, mate. I'm not going anywhere near it. <laughs> um, shall we? Shall we? Shall we? Dive in to the. Kaiju fantabulous film of Godzilla v Kong. Fantabulous film, yeah. Fantastic beasts and how to find them part three. (laughs) (laughs) How to not find them, because my god, they're so goddamn big. Oh my goodness, yeah. I'd I'd love if a Fantastic Beasts sequel was to do with, like, Godzilla-sized... Imagine if Newt Scamander was in this film being like, I need to protect, preserve the life of this giant beast! Oh my god, imagine imagine that if there was, like, a... (laughs) If Godzilla and Harry Potter were canon. (laughs) I mean, mean, the amount of, of, uh, you know, trademark characters that Godzilla has fought, I'd love to put him in that Harry Potter universe just to see... You know, you know, say like he's he's taken down. Um, you know, he's in the city of London or something. Godzilla surfaces at Canary Wharf and he starts smashing shit down. And then you have to go to the Ministry of Magic because, like, you know, Newt's commander's there, and uh, and he's like, we need to find a way to stop this beast. And he goes, don't worry about it. There's a whole Hollow Earth thing going on, and you're like, what? <laughs> just, just sink him into the Hollow Earth. Um, yeah. So that's a very long-winded way of saying uh, we're gonna. Our topic of the week this week is Godzilla vs Kong, the long-awaited cinematic showdown uh, that's been delayed multiple times and finally released uh, widely on streaming services across the globe. Um, yeah, it's uh, part. Of, it's kind of for me, for reasons I'll get into possibly later. I feel like this is like the the almost the closer. Or the end of this phase of what's known as the MonsterVerse, uh, the legendary studio's MonsterVerse. That's what I've heard it called, but I don't know if that's the official name for it. If there is indeed an official name, but it all started with Godzilla twenty fourteen and has culminated in this battle of uh, of the titans, as it were. Would you like to give the any listeners who may not ha- have? have seen it or know what it is, would you like to give them just a quick rundown of, of what they're what we're talking about here? Yeah, exactly. So the basic premise of Godzilla vs. Kong is uh, Godzilla fights King Kong. <laughs> that's it. There is... Um, that's essentially it. If you want to see basically Godzilla fight King Kong, that's all you need to know. That's what happens. Um, 
there is some bullshit human interest story kind of woven in between uh, because I guess studios have to say listen you need human characters for the audience to be attached to they're not just going to watch two hours of big monsters fighting why would anyone watch that um, which is a stupid stupid opinion if you ask me <laughs> um, I would prefer if this whole movie was just pretty much silent uh, there was no dialogue I'd love to see a version of this with no dialogue uh, but again going off topic a wee bit but yeah. you're not going off topic because what you've managed to do is hit on pretty much my, my thoughts almost exactly yeah. and yes yeah. th- no one needs to know more than this big fuck off dinosaur lizard thing fights a massive monkey that's all you need to know you don't need to big know anything monkey. else well essentially from a narrative standpoint they've set up Godzilla as the antagonist of the story, whereas Kong is very much the protagonist. Kong is seen by Monarch, who are like the uh, the the monster kind of the they're the they're the sort of giant monster monitoring service uh, who are established in canonically in Kong Skull Island uh, as a kind of shield uh, BPRD style agency that kind of deal with monster attacks they want to use kong as a way to combat godzilla who between godzilla king of the monsters and now has become a lot more aggressive basically killing off all the other giant monsters um whereas in the previous film he was seen as more of a protector from other monsters so it's a bit weird canonically how that's working but hey it serves the purpose of big monsters that are going to fight so you know, if that's all you want, then that's that's what you get, really. Um, yeah. Uh, what? Yeah. What? So you said you said you had some initial thoughts, Robin. What? What? What are they? I'm angry. Um, You're angry. I'm, I'm just. I'm angry and I'm upset about this film. Um, so let me let me just run down here. Uh, within something like the first half hour, they had introduced nine main characters. Um, yeah. Two, two of them, no, three, five of them brand new characters, uh, which hadn't been in the series before, um, and just gave us all of their baggage and gave us who they are exactly, and this included um, generic badass villain lady, uh, paranoid podcaster man, uh, overweight friend of previous protagonist guy who's slightly mm. nervous. Um, uh, it's it's it, all of it just you had too many characters too quickly. None of which were actually none of which contributed to the story whatsoever. And there was really just just absolutely shallow and transparent attempts to try and make you care about them the most egregious of which is when podcaster man suddenly takes out a flask of whiskey from his from a gun holster uh, (laughs) and and then uh, then he's like oh my god i'm drinking this whiskey because i got a dead wife but i never drink it because the last time i drink it that'll be when i've been i've given up um, and it's like, wh- why is that in the story? This doesn't contribute a goddamn thing to this story. Um, uh, and then just every single character has has stuff like this. 
un- until uh, unless it's one of the characters who had similar bullshit background in one of the previous films. Yeah. Um. So so I mean there there's that, and I suppose that leads on to just just the oh my word um. Just the human characters didn't need to be there. You're totally right in that fact. And this film, I would have much preferred, would have paid the same money for a 45-minute film, maybe an hour long, of just the monsters fighting each other with tiny little bits of exposition from a few human characters being like, this is kind of what's going on. Cool. Mm. That's it. It's all the setting they need. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm just annoyed. I'm annoyed that the cool monster fights were ruined by and they were punctuated by just just bullshit yeah I mean it's weird they, they, I think this series of films have always struggled with the human element like Godzilla 2014 that was the biggest criticism that people had was that it spent too much time dealing with with the fallout of the monster attacks it was a in hindsight i think it was quite a cool take on the genre where they treated godzilla more as a just a a, a natural disaster and you know it was shot all a lot of it was shot from ground level very much like a sort of cloverfield style film they were i think they were going for like a cloverfield feeling with the uh with the first godzilla movie it uh, didn't work quite so well because I think people did just want to see the monsters fight each other. Every time the monsters began to fight, it cut away to just like a human crying, and it was like that's that's some bullshit. Wasted Brian Cranston entirely in that film as well. That's one of my biggest gripes with Godzilla twenty fourteen is that they advertised Cranston being in it so heavily, and he was in the movie for about twenty minutes and then died. And it's like, well, that what a waste of a character. <laughs> On the other side of things Godzilla King of the Monsters I think did it quite well where the humans were in it just enough for you to know what was going on and then they had Charles Dance you know Tywin Lannister himself being just a villain which is like he was fantastic in it like I love Charles Dance being evil um not to go into spoilers too much at this point, he's not in this at all, which is an absolute shame. I was really expecting him in the film to step out from behind some kind of monitor or computer or doorway to be like, aha, this was my idea all along, don't you see? Because I feel that's what he's best at. So a shame that he didn't return for this. A shame that Millie Bobby Brown returned for this because I feel like while she is good... I think that a lot of studios are using her now thinking if we put Millie Bobby Brown in things it'll be just as good as as Stranger Things if not better forgetting that you need a good script (laughs) to make actors like her shine Yeah, she's a good actor but why are you wasting her goddamn time with this film where she does nothing yeah exactly um but yeah, I mean, the whole MonsterVerse so far has been up, ups and downs. Uh, Kong Skull Island, I think, has been my favourite of the four films because, like, they did the human stuff well because it was basically an adventure story on Skull Island where where King Kong was just kind of there doing King Kong stuff and all the action stuff that needed to happen with Kong was great. Um, and I think they managed to put some of that into this film. Um, I like how they managed to flesh out King Kong as a character, like the intro of the film is just him kind of hanging out, just going about his day, yeah, which is I quite like cool. 
because um, he seems a lot more human. Um, should we say from this point on, should we just hit the spoiler alert button? Oh, yeah, hit, uh, probably hit that. Okay, we're going to go into full spoilers for Godzilla vs. Kong. If you've not seen it yet, go watch it and uh, report back to us in just a moment. Spoilers from <laughs> here on. Yeah, so, yeah, and I like throughout, how throughout the film Kong develops as a character. Like, you see that, he, you know, you can see he's actually quite intelligent. You know, he's he's not, he's not like a, he doesn't, he's smarter than a, than your regular ape, you know, he's, he's, he's got like, he knows how to use tools, he's learned sign language, um, he's, he's a really interesting character, I think, more than just a big, dumb, smashy monster, which mm-hmm. Godzilla kind of has been revealed in the previous two films to be more of just a big, dumb, smashy monster, like he's, you can tell he's kind of got some, um, What's the word I'm looking for? He's got like that. He he does have a kind of consciousness, as it were, where like he's he's really, you know, he does things for a reason. You know, he does has a big face down with Kong to kind of see who's the alpha monster, and Kong kind of submits to him just mainly out of like, out of tactics more than anything. <laughs> you know, he's not <laughs> fighting to the death for no reason. He, like he submits to Godzilla near the end of the film to be like, yeah, no, I guess you are the stronger, yeah, whatever. <laughs> um, yeah, so do you, do you not do you not think that it seems like the, the, their actual characters of these big monsters are fleshed out a bit better than in previous films? I, I would say so, yes. Um, and I did like the stuff that, that made Kong more more of, a, more of a character, more of a protagonist. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, they kind of did make, make Godzilla just you know he's a bit of a big beast but he's also kind of a bit of a big beast that like he respects the rules man yeah um, like it seems that there is definitely like a a, a deep histor- historical understanding between those two species where it's like one of us has to be in charge and it's going to be me you know <laughs> <laughs> um yeah like i i i uh, i actually liked godzilla king of the monsters that was my favorite um, yeah it's wicked the isn't it? it's really good uh, well, yeah, it's in, I think it is purely because, yeah, it's just non-stop. Yeah, you, like what you said, the humans were in it just just long enough to facilitate the monster fights. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but yeah. I'm impressed by know. how much they managed to fit into this film. Like, I was so used to, you know, we talked about Wonder Woman uh, before and how there was just far too much packed into that two hour time frame and you know I watched I, I haven't talked about it this episode but I have what I've seen Aquaman since we last spoke and that is a uh-huh. two hour film with just far too much going on whereas this is like an hour and a half film and like it doesn't feel over doesn't feel overstuffed Patch it's I mean. two hours it's a two hour film well this Godzilla vs Kong is not two hours uh, hold on. Let's uh, let's just um, put. It's put absolutely a cut. not because I was surprised because I checked the runtime and it was like. What? It felt like two hours. It's an hour and fifty-three. Like... Okay, right, fine. Okay, there we go. But um, it's shorter than say Justice League, shorter than than. It's shorter than Justice League, shorter than Aquaman. It seemed, felt a lot shorter than Wonder Woman, uh, nineteen eighty-four as well. I just I was impressed by how much they managed to put in there and it didn't to me feel like it was overstuffed you know I, I 
to be honest, I think my main takeaway is this is a film about two really cool monsters fighting each other. How have you made me bored? How have you managed that? Sure. Um, Because I I think a lot of it, I just found myself feeling bored. Um, And then it was just, I was kind of just waiting until... You know, it, it was the next fight. until it was yeah. Well, not just until the next fight, until Kong or Godzilla did something cool. That's what yeah. I'm here for. Um, and I, I don't know. I feel like I don't know if this is just human egotism or the egotism of the director that they want to try and pull and show more story, or that's just artistic passion. But I feel like you're trying to over-egg the pudding to some extent. Like, Mm -hmm. you're not going to make... You know what? I think it suffered from the Transformers problem to some extent. That you're trying to bang more exposition and more plot and more lore than it actually requires. You just need a little peppering of lore. This is not Mm -hmm. that kind of film that needs to be fucking Lord of the Rings, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um... What is your opinion on the inclusion of Hollow Earth theory in this cinematic <laughs> universe? That, you know, um, it started out very... You know, go back to Godzilla 2014, where it's a more grounded, as grounded as it can be, Godzilla movie, where, flash forward to 2021, it's Hollow Earth theory. There's just there's just another Earth inside our one. Like, what? how does that make you feel as a viewer? Uh, <laughs> As a viewer, uh, to be honest, mate, you know how I generally have... If you're going to make a, a, a series, then uh-huh. just make it subsequently more bonkers. Make it yeah. more crazy the longer you go on. So I'm okay with that. And on a personal note... Actually, no. This isn't on a personal note. This is just... It's not even... It shouldn't even be a hot take, but it kind of is a hot take in this day and age. The more fictional representations we have of absolutely bullshit conspiracies, the better. Because right? these things need to be shown as what they are, which is complete fantasy nonsense. If they're been... actually held up as any kind of reality, then that causes more people to believe them, and it gives them more sort of more sort of credence to spout their pish. <laughs> but um, if it's shown as a fictional thing in fictional media, then maybe, maybe, just maybe, people will give up with this nonsense. Because, mm. like, the thing is, I was thinking about that a lot as well, and I thought the equivalent to me is, well, I don't know if it's the equivalent, but I thought, like, it's such an interesting thing to, to casually, in King, of, in King of the Monsters, they just kind of casually dropped it in as like, oh yeah, by the way, the Earth is hollow and there's an, under, there's an underground civilization that predates ours. I was like, interesting, just casually just fucking around with hollow Earth theory, I like it. And I was like, imagine if, like, the MCU, just in one of the films, said, oh, by the way, the Earth is flat. And, like, that's not part of the plot. It's just in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It is just flat Earth. And I was like, how much How much would that insanely change the MCU if they were just fucking around with flat Earth theory? It's like, oh, yeah, it's just the Earth's flat. It's just we just have to kind of work that into the plot now. I'd love that, as you say, just to put in more insane conspiracy theories like that, you know? Yeah, I mean, yeah, especially something... Any kind of, like, you know, verse... Like verse is mm-hmm. versi, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Verse films, universes. yeah. Un- any cinematic universes. That's exactly what I was looking for. I want them to tend towards insanity. Um, <laughs> Why not? It, uh, the, yeah, that's that's what I want. And there is hope 
there is hope for Godzilla versus Kong. I know I've kind of just, I know this has kind of been just an outright attack, um, <laughs> but uh, Guillermo del Toro mm-hmm. has said he'd be interested in a Pacific Rim crossover, as has yes. the director of. Godzilla versus Kong. Well, that's and been on is, the cards for a long time now. You know, they, they keep you, they, that. Well, that was. It's kind of like how Godzilla versus Kong came into being, just because people. I think enough people were like, these two properties exist now. Why don't we just smash them together? You know. Whereas I think there's no reason why you couldn't have Pacific Rim versus Godzilla versus Kong. You know. Yep. Um, there is, there's absolutely no reason for it, and it, there's no reason for it not to be. And to be honest, it could fit in quite well because all they could say, like they have the basis for why kaiju exist. They have the basis that um, Gamora is it Gamora? What's the what's the three-headed one called? Ah, uh, King Ghidorah. Ghidorah. Um, we have the basis that he is an extraterrestrial. Yeah. Um, so in Pacific Rim, all the kaiju are extraterrestrials. That they come from another planet. Well, were so, the kaiju entering through like a portal under the ocean or something? Because that was would a, link in with like the Hollow Earth theory from this series as well, wouldn't it? Uh, yeah, it would. But what I would actually, what I'd like is that that port. Here's okay. So here's my ideal Pacific Rim crossover. Mm-hmm. Is that so? The Pacific Rim world is. In its canon, but it's just in the future. It's far in the future. Yeah. Um, so there is this this uh, portal where extraterrestrial monsters come from. Yeah. Then we can have I don't know. Um, Ghidor- is it Ghidorah? Sorry. King King Ghidorah. Ghidorah. Um, so we can have like an ancestor. Uh, 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 sorry, a uh, further generation of of that coming out of the th- coming out. Then there's. Um, Jaegers trying to fight it and then they can't fight it so then they like call the ancient ally and Godzilla pops up and then Kong comes from the hollow earth and then more Kongs come from the hollow earth because he's had a family <laughs> you know family, yeah. <laughs> yeah it would just be Donkey Kong comes in I was just going to say um, like it just cut Donkey Kong country under the ground <laughs> <laughs> he's wearing like, um, a big red tie the size of like a, a size of like an aircraft carrier <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, you know what I mean. Like, yeah, yeah. go, just go full bananas. Why not? At this point, like that's, I think that's what we need from our films is them to stop, as you say, stop trying to over-explain things and just chuck shit in and see what sticks. You know. Yeah, um, it's, and if it's yeah. bad, it's bad. But like, it's still, it's still an interesting experiment. Yeah, exactly. And it's you don't, you don't need to explain absolutely everything. Like, yeah. I think the lore nerds have ruined it. To be honest, I think they—they're—they're they're who we need to blame for this. Oh well, yeah, um, but like I don't think there was there. In my opinion, Godzilla versus Kong didn't have an over explanation problem. It was just like this is why this is here. It's like Kong potentially came from a Hollow Earth. That's why he's all alone on Skull Island, um, and then the explanation that Mechagodzilla was powered by the psychic skull of King Ghidorah, I thought that was quite interesting that's why that works I guess Um, I hated how it was just they said oh it's a robot Godzilla I was like no it's a Mechagodzilla why did did the character who has no 
no uh, impact on the story have to call it Mechagodzilla? Why didn't the head of the corporation say, I've called this project Mechagodzilla? Like, it's yeah. so bizarre to me, that reveal. Um, speaking of cool reveals, I fucking loved Godzilla finding... that. I, I fucking loved Kong finding an ancient throne room with an old axe. <laughs> like, oh my god, that was so axe. good. That was fucking fantastic. Like, I really... I really wanted... I'm really, dis- I'm really upset they didn't do it. And I also don't know how they would have thought to do this without me tapping on a shoulder. But you should put this in. What I wanted was was Kong to discover, like, a really old Kong with, like, golden white Super Saiyan fur sitting on the throne being like, You have finally returned to me, my son. Now it is your destiny. That's all that was missing was for an old Kong to hand over this the axe, you know? I was really... I was really hoping that he was going to meet more Kongs. Yeah. Um, but, again, we'll save that for Pacific Rim versus Kong versus Godzilla versus yeah. uh, Kaiju versus Jaegers. <laughs> exactly. I mean, Mecha Godzilla died super quick. I was hoping there'd be more Mecha Godzilla in this film, you know? Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, but, I don't know, Mecha Godzilla... Again, this is the whole thing, you know? We got, we got the Godzilla and... Uh, Godzilla Kong water fight. We got the Godzilla Kong city fight. Uh, Godzilla did the the climb of the skyscraper. It was classic. He had the axe, which got powered up by the by the. <laughs> that was so cool. That he got, the axe sweet, got right? powered up by the fire. Um, Godzilla gets his ass kicked by Mecha Godzilla. God Godzilla and Kong do their team up. Batter batter Mecha Godzilla. Happy days. Also, the scene where Kong decapitates. Mech Godzilla is incredible. That's so good. Yeah, he's like all triumphant, like holding the the the, the severed head in the air. Oh uh, yeah, it's great. And there's lots of there's so many cool things about this film. Like I'm just willing to give all the bullshit a pass, to be honest. Like because it's just worth it for like all the fighting and the and the Hollow Earth stuff is just incredible. <laughs> and like the fact like there are some plot holes that I'm just that I'll just forgive because it's just such a bonkers movie overall. Like Godzilla boring a hole into the center of the earth with his breath for like, like that was, it felt too quick. Like he should have just been blasting a hole into the earth for days. Like that should have been like middle of the movie. Just Godzilla just plants himself and just like <laughs> bores into the earth. And they set up like a little ha- like a little hazard zone around him to be like, I don't, we don't know what he's doing, but nobody get close. Um, um- there is the sort of yeah, I I, I that was kind of, but I, I'll just forgive that on the grounds that they don't need to explain it. Godzilla well, is exactly. Godzilla. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I liked as well that like when Kong like charged up the axe or whatever, there mm-hmm. was the little there was the Godzilla symbol on the floor to <laughs> kind of sweet, indicate. Yeah, well, because yeah, that, that kind of awesome. shows that that the Kongs were like an ancient civilization that had like built this whole temple and like he's like the like the the last remaining member like it's so weird like I, I want to know more about who built that temple and like why there was these Godzilla glyphs in the ground you know it's it's really I'm really intrigued by that so they didn't have to explain it in this film but I'd like to see kind of like you know maybe like an explanation of kind of who built that temple you know mm. like Godzilla's versus Kong's could be the next one maybe it's maybe like, I don't go- know but I, I mean, 
that's pretty much all I've got to say about it, man. I really enjoyed it. Um, it's a, it's what, what, a, what a wild ride it was, you know? I really enjoyed what I enjoyed, and I, f- I hated what I hated. Yeah, the human element's always crap in these films. I've kind of come to accept that. I never really expect much from them. That's why I was kind of so pleased by Charles Dance in the last film, because he was kind of there. He definitely, like, his character, and I, I reckon he just knew what the purpose of his character was. He's like, I'm just going to go full ham on the evil villain. I'm not going to get too dramatic. I'm not going to, you know, he was a good inclusion. Whereas like the, the head of the mega corporation was just a bit like, I don't know. It felt a bit too, I don't know. It just wasn't what I wanted, but Hey, there you go. I had enough of what I did want. So it kind of cancels out, you know? Mm. Anyway, would you go outside for Godzilla versus Kong? I would go outside for Godzilla vs. Kong, but I, I'm not. I'm not happy about it. <laughs> <laughs> You're not happy about it. If you, you, do you feel you've been tricked into going outside? I feel like I've. Uh, yeah, I feel like I've been tricked into going outside for for Godzilla vs. Kong. But I, I mean, I, I I enjoyed the bits I enjoyed enough to justify the bits that I thought were crap. But again, it's this problem of I think it, if that was a 45 minute film, God, I would have loved it. It would have been brilliant, yeah. and it would have been happy to pay for that yeah going back to what i said at the beginning of the review like i think a completely dialogueless version of this film where there's human characters that maybe very like single lines of dialogue just looking at a monitor being like oh he's getting more powerful oh we gotta go to hollow earth that's all you need yep i'd like i'd be interested to see a version of this film told completely from kong's perspective (laughs) <laughs> yeah because I think he is cognitive enough where you can understand his desires and his motivations very much like the first hour of uh, of Wally where like he, there's no dialogue there you just understand the motivations and desires of this character that I think you could do a very similar job with Kong you know yep I think so too but uh, hey, it's, uh, it's a studio film made by committee, so they had to get a human element in there somewhere. I'm sure if there was a, if there was a, I'm sure there's a version of that film told entirely from Kong's perspective, uh, going by the opening sequence of Kong just going about his day. You know. <laughs> how much? How much would you pay for like just half an hour of just seeing Kong cutting about? just hanging around doing his stuff I'd pay the same again I'd pay that £15 Amazon rental to see the same film just told from Kong's perspective because I think you could definitely get away with it because all the big moments of exposition from Kong's side of things are very much dialogueless you know like he's discovering the axe he's sitting on the throne He's wandering around Hollow Earth. He's mucking about in Skull Island. He discovers that he's in a prison. It's you know, it's you get away with it. And like the dialogue can all just be sign language between him and the little girl. You know, it's, it's easy done. It's the little girl fix, was great. I, I would have liked to see more of her in it. To yeah. be honest, just her and Kong hanging out. That's <laughs> I want to see more of this little girl character. Put her in it more. <laughs> just with your big cigar. <laughs> <laughs> I love this character. She's great. <laughs> Get rid of all these other schmucks. Why are we even paying them? (laughs) 
Yeah, but no, that's all to say I would go outside for this film and not begrudgingly like yourself. I, I perfectly. This is, I think this is pretty much exactly the film I've been waiting for since mm. Skull Island came out. So yeah, it's, I'm very happy with it, man. It's it was a a wild ride. Would go outside. Cannot hide from the monsters. <laughs> <laughs> I just was decided to make a rhyme there, but yeah, no, it's a good film. I'd recommend it, man. If uh, if if you if you uh, if you're willing to pay the fifteen pound rental fee on Amazon Prime or indeed any other service that it's available on, I'd I'd recommend it, man. It's it's really good. I'd recommend it. Oh, it has been the most successful film release over lockdown. I know, and that surprised me like a lot. I mean, over big, you know. Over big cinematic universe films like Wonder Woman and and the and the, the Justice League Snyder cut, I can't yeah it's beat the Snyder cut if you can believe that. And it's but, a film that seems like it would benefit so much for watching in a cinema, you know. I know, I know. Well, that's that's just that's just indicative of all these new films that are coming out. They kind of have to come out on demand because cinemas aren't open. Um, I think we're going to see a wave of films being re-released in cinemas once we're allowed to go back. To the cinema, do you know what I mean? Like, I, yeah, I, I reckon, can see that too. I reckon Wonder Woman's gonna get a re-release. Snyder Cut's gonna get a re-release. When James Bond eventually comes out, that's getting a re-release. And yeah, we're just gonna see a wave of re-releases. Just I think for cinemas to really pump loads of money back into them. But um, um, yeah. Well, as always, guys, uh, don't go outside, or perhaps someone will. Give an expedition dump on your life and tell every single person every single secret about you and when you go to the toilet and uh, what you eat for breakfast and your innermost thoughts and your outermost thoughts and if you indicate if you drive or not. And they're going to try and sell that as if it's a good representation of your life, even though it's not. It's just shit and no one will want to watch it. Don't Go Outside is your podcast broadcast from the post-apocalypse, brought to you by Patch and Robin. If you enjoyed this episode of Don't Go Outside, why don't give us a follow on Spotify or subscribe to us on iTunes, and you'll be updated whenever a new episode is released. You can also find episode updates and other fun news on our Instagram feed at dgo underscore podcast.